0: All right. Well, good morning, Discovery. Uh, my name is Kevin. I'm really, really excited to be sharing with you this morning. This is our, our last week in First John. And uh, some of you guys were here for the very, very beginning, 1 John chapter 1, in, back in May. So it's been a couple months now. And uh, Pastor Jeff started us off in 1 John with the end in mind. And I was really thankful that he did that. On the first day... Uh, that we talked about First John, he shared verse, chapter five, verse thirteen, which says, "I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life." And there's been a lot of themes that we've been talking about in First John, but this theme of life is something that we've come back to again and again. Twelve times in the book of First John, this word life is used, uh, and, and honestly, like we've we've talked about it a lot. But it's kind of been a hard word to nail down. And, and I, I loved, a couple weeks ago, if you were here, Ewan shared this illustration, which I just thought was so good that I wanted to reshare it. So he shared a picture of this thing. Right? This was a Christmas present that Ewan got when he was a young, young boy. Uh, and he didn't know what it was at first, and so he thought that it was like a replica beehive. Uh, and being the polite young boy that he was, he thanked his relative for this, this Christmas present. Uh, to which I think it was his aunt said, no, 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 it's a football. And so, of course, when you flip it on side, uh, it is a Nerf football. And Ewan, to this day, still has that football, and he loves that football. And and his point was this. He said, when I didn't know what it was, I didn't really appreciate it. Even though I had it, even though I had received it, I didn't appreciate it until I knew what it was. And as we talk about life, this morning, I want us to understand the gift that we've been given. You see, in the book of 1 John, what we've seen again and again is that the Apostle John wants his readers, us, to have eternal life. He wants us to know that we have eternal life, and he wants us to experience that life today. So rather than define it, what I want to do is I want to illustrate it for you. And this is something that I I did with some of the college students that I work with a couple months ago, and I think it helped to illustrate the idea that John is getting at here. So I have a picture of my son up here, um, which is awkward for him because he's here. Uh, So this is my son. This is Cohen James. And he's going to be two in a couple of weeks. And, And in the same way that the Apostle John wants us To have an experienced life, I want Cohen to have an experienced life. Here's what I mean by that. Here's some things that I want for Cohen in this life. I want him to to stay safe, obviously, to grow, to mature from, from, from a boy to a man. I want him to be well cared for and protected. I want him to have fun. I want him to have friendships that are not just superficial acquaintances, but genuine, deep, life-on-life friends. I want him to know and experience joy. And one day, if if he gets married, I I want him to know the joy of marriage and the joy of parenting. And, And maybe if he stays single, I want him to know the joy of being single and getting to serve God with his whole life. I want him to know God and to experience fellowship with God. I want him to have peace. I want him to know that his sins, which I know he'll do, I want him to know that those things are forgiven. And one day, when Cohen dies, I want him to go to heaven. I want him to see Jesus face to face. I want him to know God for eternity. Here's what I don't want for Cohen. I don't want Cohen to be an alcoholic. I I don't want him to be addicted to to drugs or to pornography. I don't want him to live in anger and and hurt people in his life. I want bitterness to consume him or, or fear to drive him. I don't want him to spend his whole life trying to make money only to find that it doesn't actually make him happy. Or to be consumed by his work, thinking that his position in his job somehow will satisfy him, only to find later in life that it didn't. I don't want him to be ashamed of who he is, hide who he truly is from others. When he sins, I don't want him to carry that guilt with him through the rest of his life. You know, here's my biggest fear for him. When he dies, I don't want him to stand before God and be punished for his sins. But when John says, I want you to have life, this is what he's talking about. He says, I want you to have eternal life, but I want you to have life now and to experience it and have confidence and joy. And I recognize that even as I say that, there might be some of you here thinking like, yeah, I don't think that I have that life. And so before we go any further, I'm going to pray I'm going to ask that God would reveal this text to us more fully than I ever could on my own. So pray with me. God, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for your word, and and in particular for the book of 1 John, which has been such a great source of joy and comfort for us these last couple months. Thank you for the the, the ways in which 1 John has challenged us and forced us to to look at our lives and and evaluate whether or not we're following you. Thank you for the offer of eternal life that you have in your son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for the opportunity to talk about that this morning. God, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would free us from distractions and the things that would try to... uh, Take us away from from being here and present. God, I pray that you would speak through me, that you would communicate what I cannot. God, would your spirit give life to these words. Would we read them as if they were written for us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so guys, we're talking about life this morning. And we are going to be in 1 John 5. Uh, the last half of the chapter, 13 through 21. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, please just throw up a hand real quick. Um, there's some extra Bibles. There'll be some guys that grab them and, and kind of hand them out. Uh, if you if you have a phone, you can look up 1 John 5. Uh, if you have the app, you can pull it up there. I really encourage you uh, get a Bible if you don't have one. Grab one of these. These are freebies. Amanda's got some. If anyone needs one, yeah. okay. Thanks, Amanda. Everything I'm going to say this morning, I want to pull from the text. And so I'd really love for you guys to follow along. And and I do want to throw a quick disclaimer because there are some verses that we're going to talk about this morning that are challenging, uh, especially the first time you read them. And so I want to do my best to communicate clearly. Uh, And what I'm going to do is I'm probably going to use a lot of questions and answers. And, And so these are questions that I had. As I was studying the passage. And I hope that in doing that, I'll be able to answer a lot of the questions that you guys have as you read along with me. But with that note, please, please know that if, if anything doesn't come across clearly, or if, if there's anything that's confusing, don't hesitate to talk to me afterward. I'd be happy to go into more detail or explain more if you need it. So let's get started. We are in 1 John chapter 5, and the first thing we're going to notice is in verse 13... And it's his audience and his purpose. Now, not every author in the Bible tells us why they're writing what they're writing. Uh, But when they do, man, it is so helpful. There There is no confusion in 1 John. In 1 John 5, 13, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So, as we read 1 John and we think, Lord, what would you have for us as a church out of this book? It doesn't get more clear than this. What John wanted for his original audience is what God intends for us today. He wants us to know that we have eternal life. Now, I want to put this as simply as I can. Not, and, I, and I don't want to be offensive about it, but I want to be very clear if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you cannot have this life that we're talking about this morning. It, it's not available to those who do not believe. He, he, he can't get any more clear than he does. And last week, you talk, or two weeks ago, you and talked about verse 12, which makes it almost even more clear. In verse 12, he says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. who has life? Who, who gets to experience this eternal life and the life here on earth? It, it's those who believe in Jesus Christ, who have the son. And if you don't have him, you don't have it. So it's really important then, well, what does it mean to believe in the name of the son of God? I, I want to make sure that I'm in that category. So what does that mean? And so I, I'm not going to be exhaustive here, but I just I put up a few things, uh, and these are things we've talked about the last couple months. These should be refreshers, um, but these are what we believe when we say that we believe in Jesus. This is what we mean: first, that we have sin. Not just that we do sin occasionally, but it is in us that we. It is a part of us. That it is part of who we are. 1 John uh, chapter 1 said, if you say that you don't have this, you deceive yourselves. So either you say, yes, I I have sin, or uh, you're deceiving yourself. And and sin isn't just, I occasionally mess up, but sin is, is serious. It is rebellion against God. So that's what we believe first. Second, we believe that Jesus, the Son of God, became human. And we don't claim to understand this fully. At least I don't. But we believe this. We believe that Jesus was both human and divine. And this has been really important in the book of 1 John. Because John is addressing teachers who were saying that Jesus was just this ethereal spirit. That Jesus didn't actually live as a human. That he didn't have flesh and blood. And John says if you don't believe that then you're not a Christian. If you don't believe that Jesus was human, then, then you have no part in him. Jesus was both divine, son of God, and he was human, flesh and blood. Third, we believe that Jesus died as a substitute for our sins. First John, John chapter 2 says that he was the propitiation for our sins, which is a really technical and fancy way of saying that he paid the price. That anything that was expected of us, that anything that that we owed God, was paid when Jesus died. The punishment we deserve has been paid. Fourth, we believe that Jesus did not stay dead. But he rose again on the third day, proving that he was who he said he was, and conquering death to give us life. Now... I say this every single time because I think we need to to wrestle with this. Guys, people don't raise from the dead. When people die, they stay dead. People don't come back from the dead, but Jesus did. We have to take that seriously. And lastly, we believe that because of all of these things that he did, that he is calling us into relationship with him, to obey him, to follow him, to love him, and to experience this life that he offers. So when we say that we believe in the name of the Son of God, this is what we're saying. That we believe that Jesus was who he said he was and did what he says he did. And John says, I want you to know that if you believe this, you have eternal life. In church this morning, if there are those here who don't believe that, I want you to know that you can. I want you to know that this invitation is available this morning. We'll talk more about that later. So after John lays out his purpose, he goes on to describe this eternal life. So so what does it look like? What what does it look like for us to have and to experience this life? And and I'm going to kind of break the text up into three chunks, which I'll call three signs of life. And and here's why I'm going to call it that. Uh, If any of you are familiar with the band Arcade Fire, they're kind of a modern uh, indie alternative band. Uh, They released an album last year, called Everything Now. It's it's an incredible album, I I really recommend it. The premise of the album is, what does it look like to live in a society that has whatever it wants, whenever it wants? What happens when we have everything now? It's a haunting, haunting social commentary. And, and uh, amazingly so, because the band is not a Christian band at all, and yet they, they have a sense of what happens when we get everything that we want when we want it. it. It's beautiful and kind of scary. And they have a song on the album called Signs of Life, and it's about these kids that are trying to find life, but they don't know where to look for it. And they, they give themselves to whatever's offered them, whether it be parties or, or sex or whatever it is that they think will make them cool, and give them life, but they can't find any signs of life. And I want to read some of the lyrics. The course says, looking for signs of life. Looking for signs every night, but there's no signs of life. So we do it again. And then the bridge, he kind of removes himself from the situation, and he's speaking into it, he says, you think that you invented life. You find it hard to define it. But you do it every time, and then you do it again. You're looking for life, but you you don't even know how to define it. And you get stuck in this endless cycle, thinking that you figured it out, doing it again and again, but you haven't found it. And there's no signs of life. Guys, I think this is really important. This is the state of our world apart from Jesus Christ. This is a sad but true reality, that the world does not know where to find life. But John says, we do. We know where it is. We have it. He says, life is found in Jesus. And the apostle John goes on to describe, hey, I can actually point to the signs of life in those who have believed in Jesus. Guys, don't ever forget that we have something the world desperately wants. They don't know where to find it, and they need us. ...to communicate it to them. So what are these signs? Well, we'll get started. Verses 14 and 15. He says, this is the confidence that we have towards him, God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask... ...we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. He says, if you have the son... If you believe in Jesus and have eternal life, you have confidence that you can pray. And in as much as you're praying in accordance with God's will, you can actually know and have confidence that He hears you and that you have the requests that you've asked of Him. Now, in my experience, this is usually met with one of two responses either you've never heard this before. And you're kind of weirded out right now. This sounds a lot like a magic genie. (laughs) Is Is this really true? Do Christians actually believe this? If so, you're kind of in shock, maybe a little bit excited, a little giddy to try it out. Or, the other response, is you've heard this hundreds of times. And at this point you're cynical because you've prayed and you've had prayers go unanswered. And maybe this this idea, this promise used to excite you, but now your heart's grown pretty cold to it. And you don't really take it seriously anymore. Here are a few questions that I think will help us to understand this promise. And what I don't want to do, I want to be really careful about this, I don't want to to justify it away. I don't want to tell you guys this morning why this doesn't actually mean what it says because I think it does mean exactly what it says. I think as Christians, we should have confidence that we can ask and pray according to God's will and that we should expect for him to answer and to give us what we ask for. The first question, though, I think we need to answer is how do we know if something is according to God's will? This is not saying that we can ask for whatever that we want whenever we want. God is not a magic genie or an ATM machine. He says, if we ask according to his will. Uh, the, the easiest answer, and this, this could be a whole series we do, but we know something is according to God's will because of his word and because of his spirit. So God has given us the Bible. This is his revelation to us to reveal his will for us. And oftentimes, it's very, very straight and blunt. A lot of times God says, hey, here's my will, and it's black and white. There's no gray. I expect this. I don't expect this. I say I'll do this. I don't say I'll do this. Most of the time it's not, but a lot of times it is. And then the Spirit, God gives us, those who have believed in Jesus, living in us, illuminating the things of God to us. Now, again, this doesn't mean that we will receive every specific detail of what you're supposed to do with your life. God's not going to spell out in your alphabet soup what job you should take or what city you should move to or who you should marry. But just as an example, maybe God won't tell you exactly who to marry, but the scriptures are pretty clear That God says not to unite yourself to somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus because now you've got a a tension in your marriage because one of you has given your life to Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. The other person is not. And God says that's not wise. So he's not going to say who to marry, but he he gives us some categories. So, So God does reveal his will in his word. Another question now we have to ask is, does this mean that I should only pray for things that I know that God will answer? Or to put it another way, should, should I wait until I know what God's will is before I pray? Right, that would be kind of the, the smart way to go about it. It's like, well, God says he's going to give me whatever is according to his will. So I'm just going to wait until I know what his will is. And then everything I pray for, I'll get. I'd say, I'd say no to that. And here's why I'd say that. I think that we should pray about every aspect of our life. And we should pray in line with what we believe to be the will of God... ...according to his word and according to his spirit... ...in as much as he has revealed it to us. But God's not going to tell us everything. And he wants us to trust him. And we see this most clearly in Jesus himself. So in Matthew 26... This is the day before Jesus is killed. Jesus is praying to God the Father. And it says, going a little further, he, Jesus, fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Isn't that incredible? That Jesus would pray and say, God, I want you to take this away from me. Would you please take it away from me? If there's any way possible, take it away. But I don't actually want what I want. I want what you want, God. And if this lines up with your will, then would you do it? And if not, then don't. And you guys know, God did not answer Jesus' prayer, which should give us a a lot of hope and a lot of courage when our prayers go unanswered. Jesus prayed and didn't presume that God would answer him. And so when we don't know God's will, we should pray, but we should have this in our mind that, God, I want your will and not my will. which, my last question then is, what happens when we pray confidently and God doesn't answer? Guys, this this isn't hypothetical, okay? I I have friends that have been praying for a spouse for years, and God has been silent. I have friends that have, have lost loved ones because of cancer, Even though they prayed fervently that God would take it away. So, what what do we do when God doesn't answer our prayers? Even the ones that we've prayed in confidence. We say, God, I think this is your will. I'm going to pray for it. But what happens when he doesn't answer? I'd say that we have to trust that he's a good father, and we should never stop praying. And I don't want this to be a cop-out answer, but I think we, we have to grasp this. So Tim Keller says in his book on prayer, he says, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything that he knows. Okay, because ultimately, guys, our confidence is not in our prayers. Our confidence is in the one that we pray to. If God doesn't answer my prayers, then then I want to have confidence that he knows better than I do. And one day, if he's merciful and gracious, he'll show me maybe a little bit of what he knew and why he didn't answer that prayer. Maybe not, and that's okay. It's like, I trust that he is good and he loves and he knows. And so I can continue to pray with confidence even when God doesn't answer my prayers. And guys, when I see somebody who perseveres in prayer, when I meet somebody who prays for things for years, even when they don't see God answer them, I think that person knows Jesus. That person has life. This is, this is one of the most important signs of life that you will see in a believer, that you can even see in your own life, is perseverant, confident prayer. Our second sign of life, verse 16 So our second sign of life, I've called an aversion to sin. So he starts by saying, if you see your brother or sister sinning, pray that God would give them life and that they would stop sinning. And he's talking specifically about people in the Christian community, in your church. So if you see somebody in your discovery group or in your family that is uh, dealing with ongoing habitual sin... John says, you should pray for them, that they would stop that, and that God would give them life. He says, because everyone who has been born of God, that is, everyone who is a Christian who has put their faith in Christ, doesn't continue sinning. So guys, this is one of the hallmark characteristics of what it means to be a Christian. If you believe in Jesus, and that you've been born again, you've been made new, you no longer do what you once did. Okay. A couple questions that come up now. Uh, that sounds great, but does this mean that we never sin? Of course not. Because otherwise, none of us would make it. The experience of every Christian who has ever lived tells us otherwise. Of course, we still sin. John says that if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, this passage is not teaching us that Christians never sin. Rather, it is teaching us that our relationship to sin has changed. Before we knew Jesus, all we did was sin. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians says that we were dead in our sins. We kept on sinning and and, and couldn't do anything else. And honestly, we didn't want to do anything else. We loved our sin. And now, John says that we have been set free from sin. And we don't keep on sinning. Because we've been born of God, and we have an aversion to it. We hate what it does to us, and what it does to our friends and our families. So we fight it in our own life. And we pray for it in the lives of others, and, and we help them to fight as well. Okay, elephant in the room. What about this sin that leads to death? John, what are you getting at here? What does he mean? Is there a sin, and here's the question we should be asking. At first glance, we should ask... Wait, is there a sin that God won't forgive? Is that what John is saying here? So if you're asking that question, you're not crazy. It's a good question. And guys, we want to be good students of the Bible here. We want to understand these verses in the context of 1 John... ...but also in the context of the rest of Scripture. John has already said in 1 John 1, verse 9... ...that if we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what sin then could possibly lead to death? I read a number of commentaries. I, I, I checked this with a, a bunch of other people. I wanted to make sure that I understood this correctly, and I want to communicate it as well as I can. So the sin that leads to death is not a, a qualitative or a quantitative difference of sin, but it is a categorical difference. And here's what I mean. So it's not, it's not quantitative. Okay, so it's not the number of times that you sin, as if somehow, well, God will forgive you of a thousand times sinning, but once you hit a thousand and one, no longer. Now that sin leads to death. So it's not, it's not quantitative. That's not what he's getting at. If God can forgive a thousand times, he can forgive a hundred thousand times. His grace knows no limit. And it's not qualitative. Meaning that there aren't certain sins that are worse than other sins that God won't forgive. If if God will forgive you of anger, he will forgive you of murder. It's not a qualitative difference. It's categorical. So stay with me here. The sin that leads to death is the sin that rejects the offer of forgiveness. So forgiveness is a gift given by God's grace to be received by faith. There is only one way to be forgiven of our sins... ...and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And to reject Jesus is to reject the only means of forgiveness. And that is the sin that leads to death. Those who refuse to come to Jesus that they might have life... ...will be led to death by their own sin... Because remember, we're looking at signs of life here. And one of the signs that someone has trusted in Christ for eternal life is an aversion to sin. Which means that when we see sin in ourselves, we repent of it. We fight it. We, We pray for other Christians that are caught in it. And John is saying, if they haven't repented of it, don't pray that God will forgive it because he's not going to. Instead, if we see somebody who has not repented... We should pray that they would believe in Jesus and then do everything we can to tell them about him. Because God will not forgive sin apart from Jesus Christ. So maybe we're here, maybe you're here this morning and and maybe you're kind of stuck in sin. Maybe this phrase, keep on sinning, describes you. And maybe you're scared because if you're honest, you don't actually have an aversion to it. Maybe you're still in love with it. And and guys, we're going to have our, our, during worship in a few minutes, we're going to have our prayer team over here. I, I would implore and ask that you would please go and pray with somebody if that's you. John says to pray for those who are stuck in sin. And if that's you, then go get prayer. So our second sign of life, an aversion to sin, our third sign of life, fellowship with God. Look at verses 19 and 20. He says, we know, we who have believed, we know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. As the whole world is under the power of the evil one, but not us. No, no, we're, we're from God. We've been plucked out of this world. We, we know that Jesus came to save us in accordance with God's plan, and we know that we know him, and we know that we know that we know him, and we know that we are in him, and we know that we have fellowship with him. As whether you're hearing this for the first time or, or you've known God all your life, I want you to just stop and think about how incredible this is that there is a God who created the universe. Everything we can see, everything that has been or will be, He did it. He is perfect in every way, infinite in, in scope and yet personal, holy and majestic. And we can know him. Like a friend knows his friend. Or like a a son knows his father. If that's true, that's worth giving your life for. If, If that's true, then we ought to spend the rest of our time on earth... ...pursuing this one goal. To know him. And I believe this is the purpose of our lives. I believe that this is why we're here that we might know him, both now and in the life to come. I believe that our our purpose here should be to to be restored to a right right relationship with God and to help others be restored to that relationship as well. And Jesus actually goes as far as to say that knowing God is the same thing as having eternal life. Look at this, in in John uh, chapter 17, verse 3, This is Jesus speaking, and he says, This is eternal life. You want to know what it is? Here it is. That they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Which means that our life, our meaning and our purpose, the reason for our existence is that we would know God and Jesus Christ and have fellowship with him. And one day... Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians 13. One day, we're actually going to see God face to face. And and right now, we don't. Right right now, we see as in a mirror that's foggy. Like when you get out of the shower and you can't quite make out your reflection. One 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 of the ways that you know you're experiencing eternal life here on earth is that you see dimly as in a foggy mirror. But one day... We will see him face to face, and we will know him fully. So John gives what I've called three signs of life. Confidence in prayer, aversion to sin, and fellowship with God. But before we look at the last verse, I want to offer a word of caution. Don't use these signs to try and gain life. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, or or, or maybe you're here uh, but you're realizing that maybe you don't see these things in your life, I think the temptation might be to pursue these things as an end in themselves. Don't think that you can gain life by improving your prayer life or managing your sin better or knowing more about God, reading your Bible more or reading more books or listening to more sermons. If, If that's the takeaway, then I think you've missed the point. These are signs of life. These are not life. It would be like trying to start a fire by creating smoke. You've missed the point. That's not where the fire is. These are not the means to life. Life is found only through faith in Jesus Christ. These are simply signs that we have done that. And he ends in verse 21, the last verse of the book with a somewhat abrupt application. If you've been following with us, if you've been reading along in 1 John, you should get to the end of 1 John, and you should be a little bit confused, because it seems like this comes out of left field. He says, little children, keep yourself from idols. It's a little odd, because he hasn't mentioned idols at all during this entire book. But I think if we've been following his argument, I think this begins to make sense. Because, and I'll I'll explain this in a second, idols are simply the things that we turn to in order to try and find life apart from God. Tim Keller says in his book on idolatry, he says, what is an idol? It's anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you, what only God can give you. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. And there are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something. But perhaps the best one is worship. So if John's purpose is that we would have life, and he... Absolutely has to warn us about the thing that will rob life from us. Idols. Back in the intro I, I listed some things that I don't want for my son. I want him to know and experience and enjoy life and I want him to stay clear of idols. Success or power or money or, or anything in this life Besides God, even family. Things that will promise to give him life... ...but will never actually do it. I, I think there's perhaps no better verse... ...to illustrate the picture of idolatry... ...than Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Where God says to his people... ...he says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me... ...the fountain of living waters... And they have hewed out for themselves cisterns. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. The the picture here is is profound. Here is a fountain constantly running living water. And we are trying to build buckets that are broken and can't actually hold water. Idols are the cisterns, the buckets that we hew out for ourselves. We look to them to give us life, but they're broken. They cannot give us what we are looking for. But God says, that life is in me. As we have the fountain of living waters. So John says, please keep yourself from idols. And, and, and hear, hear the tone of the father to his son when he says, little children, he cares deeply about the people that he's writing to. In the same way, God cares for us. Real life is available to us. As we close, I, I want, there's a couple things this morning that might have hit you, um, that might have struck, with, struck a chord with you. And so I put up a few application questions. These are questions for you to think about uh, as, as we worship here in a few minutes. Here are questions that take home and, and consider and, and ask the Lord about. First is, have you believed in Jesus? And if not, there are going to be members of our prayer team that will be available during worship. You can talk to them about that. Second is, are are you confident that you have eternal life? Why or why not? Do you see the signs of life in your own life? You can know, you can have confidence this morning. And lastly, what idol or idols are keeping us from experiencing this life now? And be specific, be, be ruthless, call it by name. Recognize it for what it is. A broken cistern that is going to let you down again and again. And commit this morning to rooting it out. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, as I read read these words again, I, I do see your love and your care and your concern for us in these words. God, I know that you want us to have life. And I know that we are so stubborn and we so often refuse to come to you. We refuse to give up our idols. We fr- refuse to, to break our broken cisterns. God, this morning, would, would you uh, remind us again of the offer that you, you lay before us? Lord, would you show us the life that you want for us, your people, your sons and your daughters? God, would that excite us? Would it motivate us? Lord, I pray for these signs of life. Lord, recognizing even in my own heart that I don't see these things as I would want to, I pray for us as a people this morning. Would you give us confidence in our prayer life? Lord, would we learn to pray confidently because you are a good father? Lord, would you give us an aversion to sin? Would you teach us to hate our sin as that which keeps us from you? And God, would you show us what a gift it is that we can have fellowship with you? Pursue it all of our life. God, would you do these things?